We're going to be in Joshua chapter 4. And in Joshua chapter 4, it might as well be the very theme of our church. I don't think thinking about Joshua chapter 4, did we incorporate into our thoughts that we want to pass along to the next generation the wonders of our God. It has been a passion of mine to be a church that gives into the next generation, gives to the next people who are coming after us the wonderful truth that is written within the pages of our Bibles so that they might understand what it means to really follow after the Lord our God, to hopefully surrender their lives. I, I'm reminded of a story. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't think it matters, but I, I've heard it second, third hand. But supposedly, this pastor goes to this rural area, hardly uh, much there. Most people were just living off the land. And in his time there, he met this Native American Indian man who was very, very not much means in his life. And he shared with him the truth of Jesus Christ. And this, this man started coming to this church, you know. And his pastors would have want to do. Pastors started preaching that, you know, we need to give. We need to give unto the Lord. We need to give our finances. You know, the church needs your help and blah, 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 blah. You know what pastors do. You know, trying to get the, the, their money to hopefully, you know, have the church function. And, and this, this Indian gentleman had just started coming to church fairly fresh, you know. And he's hearing this message and he's thinking... Man, he doesn't have uh, anything. He doesn't have any money. And he's thinking, what can I give? And supposedly when they brought the baskets, you know, to take up the offering, when it got to him, he was embarrassed. He had nothing to give. And so he looked at the gentleman that was holding the basket, and he went like this, and the man bent over, and he went like this, and the man bent over a little more and to where he put the basket on the ground, and the Indian stood up, and he stepped in the basket. And what he did, symbolically, was said, I give myself. You know, you don't have to be uh, old in the Lord to understand the principles of the Lord. And so when we sing, I surrender all, it intimidates me. Because I recognize fully there are times when I certainly do not surrender all that I am to Jesus Christ. I know I should. I know I desire to. But do I accomplish that? It's a process in my life that I hope I grow into and become. When we get to Joshua chapter 4, I've said this often, but this is really a critical chapter for us to understand as a church. Because it sets the tone of who we are as a believer. This chapter might as well be speaking about the Rock Community Church it is the exact principles this chapter is what we try to teach here at the rock that is passing along to the next generation the wonders of who our god is what we want to look at today is why why did the lord ask joshua to tell a member one member one man from each tribe of the nation of israel 12 tribes to go back into the river and gather some stones and build a monument in Gilgal. Gilgal, from where they crossed, Gilgal was approximately a mile, a mile and a quarter. They lodged right where they had crossed the Jordan. And there they built an altar unto the Lord. Why? I hope after this message you will know exactly why. 
we're going to again take a look at the whole chapter because it is a narrative and we won't necessarily study it line upon line, although next week we're going to talk about dying to ourselves out of this chapter. But since this is a narrative, let's study it in that fashion. As you're going to note, it's just telling about how they gathered the rocks and how they placed them in Gilgal, plus they placed 12 more in the middle of the Jordan. Read with me, please. Chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now, it came about when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Verse 4. So Joshua carried, oh no, so Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you'll say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. And thus the sons of Israel did, as Joshua commanded, took up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan at a place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. For the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed. And it came about, when all the people had finished crossing, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people. And the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. Now the Lord said to Joshua, verse 16, Command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Jordan commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came about when the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up to the dry ground, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. Now all the people came up from the Jordan, on the tenth, it was the first month, encamped at Gilgal, on the eastern edge of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, 
When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. Verse 23 and 24, really kind of key. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea when he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so it is that we read that God had a purpose for Joshua to tell the people to collect up these stones. Now the question that you and I might want to ask is why on dry ground and then why in the middle of the Jordan? What's the purpose of that? And also we're going to see that the altar that they built in Gilgal soon thereafter, we have to study for this, but it's there. Soon thereafter, the people stopped worshiping the Lord there and started worshiping idols there. And that disgusted the Lord against them. And so what I want us to learn is the importance of passing on to the next generation the wonders of our God. And I want you and me to grow so firmly in our walk with Jesus Christ, this newness of life that we have, understanding His Word, that you and I will never vary from this walk that we have in Jesus Christ, that we will hold firm to the wonders of who He is in our lives every single day. And so that song that we sang, I Surrender All, is relative. It's important to this message. It is an intimidating thing to try to consider, but it is a great model for you and me to imitate, to surrender all unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, please, would you give us the greatest privilege? And that is, would you open up our eyes, open up our hearts, our minds and our thoughts, dear Lord, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, Father, the wonders of your grace. And allow us, Father, to understand the importance of loving you now completely, wholly. But be committed to you, Father, that we might be a people who walk in this newness of life and surrender all unto you. I'm convinced, Father, that to do so will only be a blessing for us whether it be now or in the times to come. To serve you now and to surrender all now, Father, would be a a wonderful thing to hear the words one day, well done, well done. And so, Father, would you remove me from, from anything up here that might distract This message is way too good, too too deep, I should say, Father. It's way too uh, powerful that we might miss it because of a human being who is speaking. Let us hear from your heart, please. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, you don't have to be a, a scholar to study the Bible to know something for certain, and that is this. From the very beginning, the very beginning of time, 
God has been concerned over what is taught about him and what is known about him. He sent Abram out to go and to be a blessing to all the people, to share the wonders of God to all the people on this earth. And so he has commanded you and me as well to tell everyone we can about the wonders of our God. Now these stones that were taken out of the Jordan River were taken out for just that purpose, to remind the next generation what God has done for his people. Look again at the last verse in this chapter, verse 24. It was for the world to see. Note that all the peoples of the earth might know. Might know what? Well, that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that they may fear the Lord their God forever. That's the purpose. Look back a couple verses. He ordered every one of us to teach the next generation. By the way, the next generation isn't necessarily our children, although that's the most important group that we need to teach, our children. But the next generation doesn't have to be kids. It could be people that just come to Christ to tell new converts the wonders of our Lord. If you look at verse 21, it says, He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. The Lord your God, verse 23, dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed just as he did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed then. I added a few words, but that was when they left Egypt. And the reason that these stones are there is verse 24 again, so that people, people all over the earth might know that the hand of the Lord their God is a mighty God and that they may fear him forever and ever. Now, turn with me, the the book just before Joshua is Deuteronomy. Turn to the left. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Familiar place, because most of the services, when we have dedications of children unto the Lord, is done in this service. That is exactly what is done here in Joshua, and what is mentioned in Deuteronomy is exactly what and why we teach every parent who comes to us and asks us, would you dedicate our children unto the Lord? And in reality, we teach every parent as clearly as we know how that it isn't the children that are really truly being dedicated. We are dedicating the parents to teach their children about the wonders, about the truth of their God. You see, most of the kids that come here, in fact, almost all, are are way too young to comprehend what is being done. And so the responsibility isn't the children's. The responsibility is twofold. The parents, and as I ask you every time we dedicate any children, would you say amen, I ask you, if, if you could be a part in this child's life? Because it should be the part of the church, too, to try to, to make an impact for the Lord to the, the children that come before us or anyone who comes here to understand and know about the Lord. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the writer writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, 
and with all of your might. In other words, surrendering all to him. Then Moses writes in verse 6, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And so he is talking to, in this case, the parents, the adults, those who are mature in their faith. He says, I want these things to be on your heart. Why? Look at verse 7. So that you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And we say clearly that that is a 24-hour-a-day job and a -a seven-day-a-week job. To be able to use the, the, the things that happen in your life, whether you're at home or whether you're walking by the way, that you would use the uh, situations that come upon that you might be able to relay those things to your children so that they might say, oh yes, this is about my God whom I love. And that takes your understanding of the Word of God and you're living for Him in such a fashion that they they will uh, ask these questions or you'll be able to know how to relate certain things to the Bible and, and teach your children all the time. That should be a, a habit in your life and in my life. And so you have the responsibility of passing on to the next generation, in this case, your children, the wonders of Christ. As for the stones that they gathered together, to an unbeliever or an uninformed person, they're just a heap of stones. They're simply just a pile of stones. But to the believing Israelites, these stones were a constant reminder of Jehovah, that He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is their God because of their faith in Him, and He does wonders for them. And they were to relate that story to the next generation. About three years, no, two, two years ago approximately, we had an idea on our church anniversary that we were going to gather a bunch of stones and we were going to ask everyone in the church family to gather one, take one home with them, put their name on it, and put a favorite verse that they might have on it or something they might want to say. It was uh, our intent to do this to have a memorial here at the church. What we'd like to do, and we still are going to do it, we have all the stones that you wrote on collected in a in a container, and we have stored them away here on the grounds. Eventually, what our plan was, on the two doors where you come in the church over here, there's a, a space in the middle. We wanted to make a waterfall, and we wanted to fill the waterfall in with all the stones up and down the waterfall so that when you come in, you could kind of hear that peaceful waterfall and take a look at the stones that you uh, signed and, and, and had. Well, financially, it wasn't, the most, um, it wasn't the most prudent thing that we should do. And so we put it off. We believe we'll do it one day. But right now, financially, it's not, it wasn't then and it, it still is not a time where we have the money to build that waterfall. But it is our purpose. And it is our purpose when anyone comes here and they look at that and they see these rocks up there and they see there's a name on it and there's something written on this rock that we can tell them, well, this is what God did for this church, how He provided for us. 
how we started at a, a place called the Garden Church. Maybe most of you, or some of you were not there the first, Saturday, first Sunday that we met. And then we were only there two weeks and, and, and we had no place to go and we couldn't meet there anymore. And by the grace of God, Pastor Wes and Pastor Fred found that we could meet at the Cinema City Theaters and we started meeting there. And then Lakeview Cafe opened up its place so the men could have our breakfast there. And then on, on an Easter, our first Easter, we met at Hope University because we needed some place that was bigger and they allowed us to meet there. And, and then when we wanted to have Saturday evening services, First Baptist Church in Yorba Linda opened up its doors for us to meet there. And then, then we moved to the Forum Theater. Until now, we have this building. And so what we want to do is to to one day put all of these rocks in this waterfall as a, a memory of what God has done for us. And we will do that if God so allows us. But let's get back to what Joshua chapter 4 is about as far as in relationship to your life and my life, but what happened back then. Dr. J. Vernon McGee writes of these two events, the putting of the stones in Gilgal and also putting the stones in the middle of the Jordan in this particular fashion. Why, he says, there were two separate removals of the stones from the river and placed in and outside of the river is because of this purpose, he said. The 12 stones that were taken out of the Jordan and put on the west bank of the river in Gilgal was a reminder of God's power, God's caring for Israel. But it also was a reminder of this newness of life that they are to have, the resurrection and the care and the protection of their God. Then Dr. McGee writes, as we know, Christ went to his death for us. And so the 12 other stones that were placed into the water was a representation of his death. And the 12 stones taken out were a representation of the resurrection of our Lord. Seems logical to me that, that this, was, this would represent a risen Savior. But here's the sad part about this story. To study this particular place in Scripture the altars that the Jews built, and they built many of them. It was their habit when they would go to a new place that they would place an altar there in remembrance of what God did for them. But the sad part is, in time, we are told, that the memorial in Gilgal eventually lost its spiritual meaning. Instead, it simply became a shrine where the people sinned against God by worshiping idols on this altar. Now, there are many places we could look. I wonder if you can find Hosea. It was the best example, and so I chose Hosea, not because I wanted to have a Bible quiz. Hosea is to the right, and if you can't find it okay, just fake it, you know, because... <laughs> That's what I used to do when we were at, when first church I ever went to, first time I ever owned a Bible in my life, we'd go to, we went to Dr. J. Vernon, not, Dr. Jack MacArthur's church in Eugene, Oregon, my wife and I. And Dr. Jack was famous for going through the Bible. I mean, he would, he would go to one place and another. And so when he, when he asked us to turn to Hosea, I'd start, I'd start looking where Kay is turning, you know, I'd see, where's Hosea, where's Hosea? And, and by the time I found Hosea, oh man, he had already gone past Hosea to Jeremiah to, you know, he just did so much. And I'd, 
I found myself missing the message. So what I started to do was see where Kay turned and saw how many pages it was, and I'd turn about the same place and not let anyone see, like pretending I was there, and then I would write it down so I could look it up later. But I didn't want to miss the message. I wanted to hear every word that Dr. Jack said. In Hosea chapter 12 and verse 11, it's just one amongst many verses um, of what God thought about what happened to Israel concerning the altar that they built in, in, uh, in Gilgal. Look, Hosea chapter 12, verse 11. Is there iniquity in Gilead? The answer is, that's a rhetorical question. Yes, there is. Surely, God writes, they are worthless. In Gilgal, he says, they sacrifice bulls. Yes, they're altars. In other words, these 12 stones that they took out of the Jordan River, these 12 stones, he says, are like the stone heaps beside the furrows on the field. In other words, they have become absolutely and utterly worthless. They are of no value to God. Amos, in Amos chapter 4 and verse 4 and chapter 5 and verse 5, he echoes the same warning. Listen, there is a lesson to be learned from this. And the lesson is for you and me today. Every one of us who believes, we are obligated to teach the next generation the truth about our Lord and our God so that they might not turn away and start following after the world and its idols. Or tragically, that you and I might do that. We need to be grounded in the Word of God. We need to walk in this newness of life so that we don't make a mistake and one day fall away from our God and tragically start worshiping idols. That's why this song, I Surrender All, is intimidating to me. I want to be kind of... I want to become that kind of a man. And so what we are to do is to teach the next generation. The monument at Gilgal reminded the Jews that God opened the Jordan River and that He brought them safely from one side to the promised land, the other side. What He is promising them is that they are to make a break in their lives from the past and never to consider going back again to their old lifestyle. The monument, the 12 stones that were placed in the depths of the river, reminded them at that time when the waters came and covered over those stones that their old life was buried and that they were now to walk in the newness of their new life in the promised land. Paul writes of this. Find Romans chapter 6. Now that might be easier than Hosea. Romans, New Testament, you'll go to the first book, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The book of uh, Romans is follows right after that. Does it that? Or is it Acts? Acts and then Romans. See? Still not sure. <laughs> Romans chapter 6. And Paul reminds us of this incident. He says, 
they were talking about grace. Uh, Paul was writing about grace, and they were saying, wow, if we have so much grace that God forgives us everything, then, then why don't we just sin more? and It'll make God look better. <laughs> and so Paul writes in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be, he writes. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us, all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, he says in verse 4, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The Greek word for baptism there, B-A-P-T-I-Z-O, in Romans, it has no connection with water. It speaks only of identification. And so what we learn from this is that we too are to identify with Jesus Christ through his death. When he died, he died for you and me, and we symbolically died with him. And his death became a substitute for our death when we believe and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. And so therefore, when he rose from the dead, we also symbolically rose from the dead with him. We are joined together today, you and me, to a living Christ through our identification to him through the wonders of baptism. It doesn't have to be in a pool of water. It is a baptism of identification that we have died to our old selves and we are now walking in this newness of life that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Therefore, back to Joshua chapter 4, when the Jewish children or those who are just new converts came and said, what are these 12 stones all about? Why is this an idol here in Gilgal? The parents or the next or the, the generation before would explain to them the miracle of crossing the river. And by God's grace, they crossed the river. Some, I found out, I thought it was a million. One commentary said it was two and a half million people that crossed. I, I don't know how many. It doesn't really matter to me. All I know is they crossed on dry ground. And so they would tell the people, we crossed this river. God held back the waters and we crossed this river on dry ground. But then they would have to add, but there is another monument we have here. Not here at Gilgal. There's a monument in the middle of the Jordan River. And you cannot see it. It's where the priests stood on dry ground with the ark so that we could pass. You can't see it, but it's there. I believe that's extremely important. You see, because right away it reminds them, as it does you and me, that our old life has been buried with Christ in that Jordan River, and now we must live this new life in obedience to the Lord by faith and faith alone. Faith is everything to you and me. It is important that they could not see these stones. 
because the children would have to accept the fact that there are stones in the middle of that Jordan River because they couldn't see them. They had to trust that they were there. You see, without question, faith is everything. You don't need to turn there, but look at it later. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it is, do you know? It is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible for you or me, any of us, to please God. Because the person who comes to God must believe that He is, even though we don't see Him, and that He will reward those of us who seek after Him. You see, there's nothing wrong with with memorials. There really isn't, provided they don't become idols that would turn our hearts away from God and link us to the past or to something that would, would take us away from our mind's eye of Him. See, glorifying the past is a good way to inhibit or to hinder the present, rob the church of its power today. Those of us who are mature in our faith, be you young in age or older, I, I'm, I'm serious, I don't know if I said this already in this service, but... There are some 13, 14-year-olds that are studying over there in that other room that are more mature than some of us who are 40, 50, 60 years of age here today. It doesn't matter about age. It matters about understanding the Bible and being committed to it. But our obligation is to grow into the Word of God and to teach it to the next generation of believers. Teach what God has done, who God is, so that they might strengthen themselves today and draw closer to the Lord today. That is my passion. My passion as an older man is to pass on to the next generation the wonders of who Christ is. And so consequently, we kind of reach out to them. We kind of reach out to those people to draw them in. I'm assuming that you and I, as we grow in our faith, will do the same and that we will try to help them to come. I'm reminded of a story is Pastor Chuck Smith when he first started his church in Santa Ana. One of my heroes is Pastor Chuck because he's done such a job there. And when he first started his church, um, it was during the, the hippie generation, you know. And so it was the first time they had long hair and people were coming in sandals and no shoes and they were sitting right in front. And as, as I, I heard this story... Uh, one of the elders came to Pastor Chuck and said, man, we can't have this. This is dis- disrespectful to the Lord. He said, They're gonna, their feet are dirty. They're, they're ruining our carpet. Pastor Chuck said, uh, it'd be a lot easier to buy a new carpet. He says, well, I don't know if we should stay if they come. And he says, well, then he says, maybe you should go because they're staying. And he taught. And someone came to me after the first service and said, you know, I was one of those people. I was sitting there on the floor with all the young people. And we learned so much about the Lord. And um, I am no Chuck Smith, but it is my passion to reach our young people. And it is my desire that you and I would grow and mature to where we want to help them become a part of a church to where they feel comfortable. You know, when Rob and Beth get to be my age. They're not going to believe what the kids are going to be wearing. I mean, it's going to blow them away. They're not going to believe what the kind of music the kids are going to want to hear. 
it'll blow them away. But if we teach them well, they'll never compromise the word of God. But they will make the church comfortable for these people so that they will not turn around and leave. As this lady told me, if Pastor Chuck would have made them put on shoes, clean themselves up, they would have probably left. But they stayed. And through that group are, are guys that, that became standards within our faith. I can't think of his name right now. You guys know Raul Reese, Greg Laurie, Steve Mays. These guys all came out of that group. There are going to be people here. That are going to, you watch. We have some young people here that are so on fire. Rob and Beth, they've taken their TV out of their house. They, won't, they, they just are teaching their kids. And, and uh, there's a bunch of them that have done the same thing. Some of our young people who are raising kids. Now I've taken your time. Forgive me. It is my desire to love you. I love you with all my heart. I want us to be a church that reaches out to the next generation, that we do not compromise on the Word of God. God forbid that we would do that, but that we'll be, that we'll be accepting of, of who our young people are. Father, thank you for Joshua. Thank you that we see that we are like he, to pass on to the next generation the wonders of who you are. May we in time, Father, be able to build that, uh, that waterfall uh, of remembrance so that when people come here, they'll see those rocks and they'll ask, what is that there for? And we'll be able to tell them of the mighty things that you have done and that they too should fall in love with you forever. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all. Have yourselves a wonderful day. God bless you. Thanks for being here.